Now, Jesus said something to us in Luke 10, 19. He said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We have been doing a little series on the authority of the believer. And this morning I want to talk to you about taking authority over condemnation. Over condemnation. I believe that you and I should be walking on top of guilt and condemnation. And it should not be something that is a part of our lives. So let's look in the Word of God today and let's be fed and encouraged. Look with me at John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 1. Or verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery... And when they had seen her in the midst, set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Well, how'd they know that? They must have been looking around. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? So they're applying pressure on the master. Here's what Moses said. Now, what do you say? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him, okay? But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though that he had heard them not. And so we see here the religious leaders trying to pressure him to give them an answer. But Jesus was hooked up to heaven and he did not answer them immediately. He was looking to the Lord for the right answer. And so he stooped down and began writing on the ground. Someone said he may have been writing their sins. I don't know. And so they continued to ask himself. And then the Bible says that Jesus lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. (laughs) Pretty good, huh? Sounds like the wisdom of God. And notice what happened. And when they heard that, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out by one, one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Maybe the olders had more sin in their life because they'd been around a longer time. But nonetheless, they all left. They didn't have an answer for the wisdom of God. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman stood there in his midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine those accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord, nobody. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Did Jesus want to rake her over the coals? Did he want her to suffer for just a while? You know why? Because God, our Father, is not the author of condemnation. He is the author of life. He is the author of love. And he is the one who will restore those that have been involved in broken fellowship. Now one thing for sure we know, he's against sin. But he's for the sinner. And I believe that that's a model for each and every one of us here today. We do not condone sin, but we love sinners. And I believe that as we live our life in such a way of integrity 
and in right standing with God, sinners will be drawn to Christ in us. Now in Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore right now, right now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. So what this verse is saying to us, if you will do your very best to walk in the Spirit, the flesh then will be held in subjection to your spirit man and to the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. And therefore, because of that, you do not have any condemnation in your life. The enemy is the author of condemnation. Listen to this statement. Condemnation comes from Satan, and it is meant to tear you down. Condemnation continually points out what a failure you are, and how badly that you have messed up. Condemnation continuously shows you the problem, but never the answer. Condemnation always pushes you down and always avoids the solution. Condemnation brings this. It brings a sense of guilt. It brings a sense of, well, I I deserve punishment. Condemnation brings a sense of insecurity. I've discovered, and you probably have too, that guilt can be a very cruel taskmaster. Guilt will always remind us of our sins that we've committed, amen, and the good things that we've failed to do. Now, in the natural realm, it's, you know, natural to feel guilty when you've done wrong. But it is supernatural to know that Jesus bore our guilt for us on Calvary's cross. It's supernatural to know that you and I, once we have come into the kingdom of God and the family of God, have been put into right standing with our Heavenly Father. Now, what this means, this is good news. What this means is you and I, we can go into the presence of God at any time. I mean 24 hours a day. Without a sense of guilt. Without a sense of inferiority. Without a sense of insecurity. Without a sense of, I just don't belong here. But with a sense of boldness. With a sense of confidence. With a sense that, you know what? He's my father and I'm part of his family. He's my daddy and I'm his son. I can now come boldly to the throne of grace, confidently and with full assurance, knowing not only does he hear me, but he accepts me and he loves me. That is such awesome news. But the enemy, he doesn't want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to have confidence because he knows that it is the fervent, confident prayer of a righteous man that avails much. He knows that when men and women get a revelation of the righteousness of God, they can confidently pray heaven to this earth. And so he wants to cloud our view of the Father with a sense of condemnation and with a sense of guilt. 
I'm here today to tell you that God loves you, your Father loves you, and that there is nothing that will ever be able to separate you from the love of the Father which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Condemnation disempowers the believer. Condemnation kills confidence. I want to show you a picture of this in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, the third chapter. You know, Adam was given the authority and the dominion to guard the garden. He said, I want you to name the animals, but there's one thing you're not to touch, lest you die. And that thing that Adam was not to touch and partake of was the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And so what does Satan do? He immediately comes and brings the temptation. And we know, as we've read our Bible, that Adam sinned, committed high treason, committed uh, a transgression. And as a result of that sin, fear then was introduced into the garden. And Adam and Eve had never known any fear. They had walked in unbroken companionship and an unbroken fellowship with the Father up until that time. Now notice in Genesis 3.8. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what did they do? Now I want you to pay particular attention. They hid themselves. They do what a lot of Christians are doing today. They're hiding out. Notice. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Fear came as a result of the sin because I was naked and I hid myself. And here's what the Lord showed me this week. He showed me that people under a cloud of condemnation often hide out. Instead of going to the source where they could get help and in running to God when they sinned and they missed it, they run away from God. That is why Adam and Eve hid themselves Because they were under a cloud of condemnation. And there are people, not by the thousands, but by the millions today, that refuse to go into the house of the Lord because they're under a cloud of condemnation. The devil has convinced them that they're not good enough, they don't measure up, and they're hiding out. It's like Ed Dufresne said, there's a lot of fugitives in the body of Christ. They're hiding from the presence of God. They're hiding from the goodness of God. I heard this years ago. When you sin and you miss it, don't run from God. Run to Him. And so the plan of God, the will of God, is for you and I to live in communion with Him. To fellowship with Him. To draw nigh to Him. 
The Bible says if you'll draw nigh to him, what will he do? He'll draw nigh to you. Listen, your answer not is not in going deeper into sin. A lot of people say this, well, you know, I missed it, I might just go all the way. Come on. Scripture says if we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just to forgive us our sins. And to do what? And to cleanse us from most unrighteousness. No, thank God, from all unrighteousness. So do you see that in the Word of God that Adam and Eve hid out? Okay? Well, let's look at another example. Luke chapter 5. Luke 5. Notice with me in verse 5, And it came to pass, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake. But when the fishermen were gone out of them, they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught them out of the ship. Interesting, the ship was his pulpit that day. You know, wherever you are, that's your pulpit. And you don't necessarily need to say thee and thou and be pointing your fingers at people. Just live your life right. We're epistles written and read of all men. Amen? But anyway, that day he was out there and he was teaching out of the boat. And when he got done speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for what? Let down your nets for a catch. Now Peter, in verse 5, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have we've been toiling all night long and we've taken nothing. I like to look at it this way. Peter's on the AM mode. He's in the reasoning mode. He could have very easily said, now, Master, you're, a fish, you're not a fisherman by trade. We are. We know what we're doing. We've toiled all the night. Anybody ever been that way with the Lord before? But I'm thankful Peter didn't stop there. Peter said, but nevertheless, at thy word, what am I going to do? Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. There may be some mornings... You feel lousy, you feel sick, you don't feel like getting up, but nevertheless, at your word, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The economy may be going up and down, but nevertheless, at your word, we will rejoice in the Lord that you supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Our kids are rebelling on the right and on the left, but nevertheless, at your word, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only I'll be saved, but my whole household is going to be saved. You see, you've got to make the transition from what the enemy brings to your mind to what you know is true in the Word. We need to live in the nevertheless realm. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to let down the net. You know, it's a good thing he did, because here's what happened. And there are blessings for doers of the Word of God. Notice with me. In verse 6. And when they did this... Then closed a great multitude of fishes, and what happened? And their net break. Oh, I love it. They had a net breaking, ship sinking, too much blessing from a too much God whose name is El Shaddai. 
whose name is the God who is more than enough. Had they not gotten over to the nevertheless realm, they wouldn't have had anything. But because they let down the net and obeyed the voice of the Lord, I said they had a net breaking, ship sinking. Hallelujah. A net breaking, ship sinking. Too much blessing. Now notice verse 8. I want you to see this. And I want you to read it with me. I want your participation this morning. Ready, read. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. I'm a what? Now listen. Right in the midst of a net breaking ship sinking, too much blessing from the God of too much, Peter is conscious of his sin. And he's basically saying, Lord, depart from me. What he was doing is he was pulling away. And Christians by the millions do this today. They say things like, I can't be a part of that. I'm not good enough. That works for brother so-and-so. That works for sister so-and-so. I've seen the goodness of God show up in their life, but I just can't be a part of it. I'm not, a good, I'm not good enough. Peter said, I'm a sinful man. You see, sin consciousness always causes us to draw back in fear. But righteousness consciousness causes us to be bold. Come on, somebody. To be bold and to draw near. There are all types of people that are conscious of something in this day and this hour. Some of you are time conscious. I wonder when the service will end. (laughs) And that's okay because I've been there many times. I was wondering that recently. And that's all right. I understand that. You know, other people are, are body conscious. You know, they're just so conscious of their flesh, so conscious of their body. There's other people that are just unconscious. I mean, we might as well be honest about it. And then there are those that are sin conscious. And whenever we become that way, we don't want to pray. We don't want to witness. We don't want to serve. Whenever we get that way, we become disempowered by the spirit of condemnation and guilt. And so, my goal this morning is to bump us up a little from a low realm of consciousness to a high realm of word conscious, father conscious, Jesus conscious, Holy Spirit inside of us conscious, righteousness conscious, covered by the blood conscious, redeemed conscious, oh, heirs of God conscious. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews the 10th chapter, and notice with me in verse 17, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's a word from the Father. Son, daughter, your sins, your iniquities, I refuse to remember them. 
Now notice verse 18. I want you to see this. Read verse 18 with me. Ready, read. Now where remission of these is... You mean God doesn't want us to do penance? You mean He doesn't want us moping around a little bit, acting like we should do something in the natural realm to fix this? I submit to you by the head of the church today that the blood alone is more than enough. And penance is not in the Bible. Verse 19. Having therefore, brothers and sisters, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So when you know sin is gone... You're confident, you're bold. Verse 22, read it with me. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This verse tells us that our conscience is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I know there are some of you today that would say, Pastor Mark, but you don't know where I've been and you don't know what I've done. And my answer is, but you don't know the power of the blood. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, there is not one thing in me that the blood does not cleanse. He furthermore said, the Holy Spirit brings never brings condemnation but he always reveals the blood of Christ he is the lifting power of the church glory to God some of you need a spiritual lift today I believe by the grace of God before the service is over with the cloud of condemnation is going to be removed and the cloud of glory and the cloud of the goodness of God is going to roll into your life and you're going to say hasta whatever is it luego what is it goodbye hasta la vista <laughs> glory to God he is the glory and the lifter up of your head. He doesn't want you walking around like this, feeling all sorry for yourself. No, He will lift you. He will bless you. He will set your feet on solid ground and make you a blessing to everyone all around. Woo, glory to God. The Bible says this. If our heart condemn us, God's greater than our heart. And he knows all things. And it says, furthermore, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. Confidence toward God. This is what is needed in the body of Christ. Confidence. Authority. Dominion. One key to overcoming condemnation is simply Take the name of Jesus and put it on the run. Because there's a name above every name. There's a name that is recognized in heaven, earth, and hell. It is the name of Jesus. And every tongue is going to have to bow and confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
But there are little demons, little imps, little evil spirits that want to hold you back and keep you in the natural. But by the blood of Jesus, God wants you to mount up with wings like an eagle and soar into the supernatural. Listen, if your heart doesn't condemn you, then you've got confidence toward God. You take the name of Jesus and you put it on the run. And then it says in 1 John 3.22, And whatever we ask, we receive of Him. Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. When a revelation of who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you and who you are in Him and who He is in you, when that revelation dawns upon your spirit, there is nothing impossible to Him that will believe. We're not talking about namby, pamby, wimpy, weak, emaciated, anemic Christianity here. We're talking about being strong. In the Lord and in the power of His might. I ask you today, who is he that condemneth? Yea, rather, it is God that justifieth, who even raised Jesus from the dead. I submit to you this morning that there is nothing that the devil can do to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of this, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Listen, listen very carefully. A second key to overcoming condemnation is you must know what the written word says. You know, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, he had a sword and he was able to use it against Satan. He said, it is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When he came again, he said, it is written again. And here is a key for you and I to live a victorious authoritative life dominating condemnation we need to know what God said about it and fix it firmly in our heart and use it against the devil when he comes to torment us a second key to overcoming condemnation is arm yourself with the word deposit it in your heart and then speak it out of your mouth such scriptures like this Mr. Devil, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. You may come with that lie, but I got a truth. It is written. He has forgiven me of all iniquities, and he has healed me of every disease. Yeah, I know that might be true, but the Bible says he cast cast my sins into the depths of the sea. You see, you've got to be armed with the word and be prepared to use it in a time of adversity. And then a third key to overcoming condemnation is just receive God's love for you. Just just have a greater revelation of how much your Father really loves you. That He is not rejecting you. That you are accepted in the Beloved. You know, I love the scripture that says, when we come to Him, He will not in any way cast us out. But He takes us in. We see an example of this when the prodigal son came home from years and years of wasting his his inheritance and just sinning and a wasted life. The Bible pictures the father with open arms receiving the prodigal son that came back. And what did the prodigal son say? I'm not worthy. 
But what did the father do? He refused to listen to it. And he said, get my best robe out of my closet. And by the way, bring me the best shoes I have. And let's put a ring on his finger. And by the way, Jethro, kill the fatted calf. Because my son was dead, but now he's alive. It's time to party. It's time to party. It's time to rejoice in the Lord. And we're not going to do the funky chicken. We're going to dance in the Holy Ghost. We're going to have a big time because my son was dead. He is alive. He came under a cloud of condemnation, but he left being lifted and blessed and restored. And God is your restorer. And so receive God's love for you. Now, listen very carefully these next few moments. This is really good stuff. Our words are extremely important. Did you know that? In between services, and for those of you who don't know, we have a 9 a.m. service. So in between services, I need to sometimes just pray and take a look at things. But let me just uh, rehearse a few scriptures that talk about your words. For example, Proverbs 16.24 says... That pleasant words are like a honeycomb, and they are sweet to the soul, and they're also health to the bones. Now, the Amplified Translation says that pleasant words are healing to your body. God's words, spoken out of our mouth, are healing to our bodies. Proverbs 18.20 says, A man's belly shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth, And with the increase of his lips, he shall be filled. Isn't that awesome? Look at the amplified version of Proverbs 18, verse 20. This is so good. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. And with the increase of his lips, he's going to be filled. A man's moral self shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth. And with the consequence of his words, he shall be satisfied whether good or bad. Look at verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they who do indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for life or for death. Is that true? Proverbs 13, 2 and verse 3 says, A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth. Verse 3 says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A man shall have joy by the answer of his mouth. Proverbs 18, 7 says, A fool's mouth is his destruction, and a fool's lips are his destruction. I have even discovered this. And I, and I saw this so clear, I want you to see it. Proverbs 21, verse 23. Let's look at this for a minute. Somebody shout, Amen. Amen. Say it with me, I'm receiving the word today. Condemnation cannot stay. Proverbs 21, 23. Let's look at this. Let's read it together. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue. Read it again. Whoso keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Now, here's what the Lord showed me in between services. And that is this. There may be trouble in your life on every side from the troublemaker. There may be trouble coming one way, this way, and every way. 
But if you will keep your mouth in the midst of trouble on the outside, you can say it is well with my soul. And your soul can be flooded and filled with peace regardless of what's going on around you. Say it with me. Try it out in first size. Say it with me. It is well with my soul. I keep my mouth and I keep my soul from troubles. Now let's ask yourself a question. What does trouble in one's soul look like or feel like? When one is troubled up here, there's no peace. When one is troubled in their mind and their will and their emotions, and when one is worried by what's going on around them, the enemy has an advantage. But God said, if you'll keep your mouth. Or in other words, if you will protect what comes out of your mouth by speaking what I said in my word about your situation, your soul will be kept. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. Now, here's what we want to work with for a few moments. Turn me to Matthew chapter 12. Do you see the importance of your words? Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and verse 37. And we don't want to just rush through this. We want to spend a few moments on this because this is really, really important. Here's what Jesus said. Read it with me. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. That'll wake some people up. Now notice the next verse. Verse 37. Read it with me. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be what? What are we talking about? We're talking about overcoming what? If we are going to overcome condemnation, we are going to have to watch what comes out of our mouths. People often open the door to condemnation by what they say, by what they believe, and by what they speak. We need to be checking everything we say in our daily lives by the Word. Does this line up with the Word or not? And we've all done it. We've all said things that we shouldn't have said. But when you catch yourself saying something not in alignment with the Word of God, you ought to correct yourself individually and say, Now, no, now that's not what I believe. This is what I believe. And by the way, you are not to be a confession cop. What do you mean a confession cop? You are not to be out there correcting everyone's words. Oh, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. Ah, oh, shut up. You've got more than enough to keep your own backyard right. You've got more than enough going on right here to keep in check.
by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be what? Now look over at Revelation chapter 12, uh, 12. Revelation chapter 12. And I want us to notice verse 10. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Oh, I love the sound of pages turning in the Bible. Revelation 12, 10. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right, let's read it together. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God. How long? The accuser of who? He's an accuser. Bringing accusations against your life, against my life, against our testimony. We could say that he goes before the throne day and night or before God day and night like a prosecuting attorney. Anybody ever had the unhappy experience of being prosecuted? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> the unhappy experience, you know, of having to go to court. Well, little imps, little defeated demons... They like to follow Christians around with tape recorders and cameras. And they like to show us pictures. And show the Father pictures of what we did 20 years ago. And then he comes along and says, can you believe you did that? Oh no, I, I can't believe I did that. Well, let's rewind it and watch it again. Look at your face when you said that. Look what you said. Look what you did. And then he doesn't stop. Because as I shared a week ago, he is Diablos. And the word dia means to penetrate. He wants to penetrate. You give him an inch, that stinking rat will take a mile. You got to shut him down right away. Because the next thing that he'll bring to your soul is, you don't qualify. Tony qualifies because he's holy. <laughs> you don't qualify to be healed. You don't qualify for that job. You don't deserve it. You're just not good enough. As a matter of fact, you are a pitiful excuse for a Christian. And you'll never make it. You never were much and you never will be. I know it. <laughs> I don't deserve a thing. <laughs> that's what a lot of Christians do. And the accuser of the brother and says, I rest my case. He said it. He agreed with me. Now I've got a legal right to hold him down. By your words. You will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. But oh, I'm so glad that I've got an advocate. His name is Jesus. He's my elder brother. 
He's never lost a case. His father is the judge and he is the representation for every man or woman of God that has been cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus. Woo! We got the best attorney ever. He has not ever lost a case. And we need to do what the world does when the prosecution comes against us. Hey, you just talk to my attorney. (laughs) And so let's go into the courtroom of the universe for a moment. Our Heavenly Father is the judge and the prosecuting attorney steps forward. And says, isn't it so that 20 years ago on May 5th, such and such a date, you did this, you did that, you said this, you said that, you did it. But because you see, your attorney, your advocate, Jesus, has a manuscript. 66 books. And he says, son, daughter, younger brother, younger sister, here's the manuscript for life. Right here. I want you to read it. I want you to become well acquainted with it. And when the accuser of the brethren comes your way to prosecute you, you say this and this only. And so he comes along. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the way. And by the word of our testimony. So when he comes along and says, you did that dastardly deed 20 years ago. And now for the judge and for the jury, I want to show a DVD, a video of what occurred in 1980. And he gets ready and he's standing up there so proud. And it's blank. It's blank. There's nothing on it. But he's not done yet. How do you plead? I'm innocent. I deserve to be blessed. You talk to my attorney. Aren't you glad that you and I have an advocate? And aren't you glad our father is the judge? And so your advocate steps up. The prosecuting attorney is discouraged. He's bummed out. He's got a migraine headache. But it's not over yet because your advocate steps up and he goes before the judge and he says, Good morning, Father. My Father. The prosecuting attorney has said such and such and such and such, but I see no evidence in her life or his life that any of those things are true. And I want to call my witnesses to the stand. Bring forth exhibit A. I call my blood to the stand. The blood comes to the stand and said, yes, it's true that at one time they were without Christ. They were without hope. They were without a covenant. But one day they applied the blood of Jesus to their life and they came into the kingdom of God. And I delivered them from the power of darkness and translated into them to the kingdom of his dear son. And I have no remembrance of their sins. They're cleansed by the blood. Oh, man, now the prosecuting attorney is really bummed. He's loading up his briefcase. He's just about ready to go. But he says, now, wait a minute. They say, okay. He still has a home in heaven. But 
he still deserves to be sick. He still deserves to, to have all sorts of turmoil from this and that in his life. He does not deserve to be healed, to be whole. Your advocate stands up and says, I call exhibit A or B to the stand. I call the bread. Which represents the broken body of Jesus Christ to the stand. And the bread stands up and says, by my wounds, he has been healed. Now listen very carefully. The blood of Jesus Christ still is speaking on your behalf today. It says you're justified. That you're made right in God's sight. And so the judge says, I've heard enough. Slams the gavel down and says, I declare him, I declare her to be innocent. You're free to go, to walk in your liberty, and to walk in your freedom from condemnation. Amen. God so loved the world, every head bowed and every eye closed, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, unbelief will condemn you and will keep you out of the goodness of God. But he will accept you this morning. He will wash you and he will make you clean. The blood of Jesus can reach in or into the secret recesses of your heart and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, all sin, all shame.